Alright, welcome to Peeps Creek, the cafe where we serve you delightful, slightly intense, but definitely worthwhile conversations. A podcast focused on bringing people together by drinking, listening, and conversing. So grab your favorite drink and let's see what's on today's menu. Alright, so welcome to Peeps Creek. Uh, my name is Sean, I'm your host, and I am joined today by Frank Davis and Albuquerque, New Mexico. Say what up, Frank. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I appreciate you having me on, Sean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, you know, here at the cafe, we always have a drink. And today I am drinking on my usual. That is some good old bourbon right there uh, with some Red Bull and a splash of lime. And what are you drinking on, Frank? I'm on this bottle of uh, Jaime. <laughs> you, over here, you over here trying to outdo me. <laughs> <laughs> this, this thing was brandy, you know. I got this from a colleague, and uh, let us see uh, see how it uh, affects the palate tonight. <laughs> All right, all right. So um, we are on episode. This is episode forty-one. It is going to be entitled "Loyal Ring While Black." Um, and as you can tell by the title, we both black and apparently we're both lawyers. All right. <laughs> Are you ready to get into the conversation? Absolutely. Stay ready. You don't have to get ready. All right. So wait, so this is your first time. Is this your first time being on the podcast? I know you said you don't really listen to them. Right. Yes, right. this is indeed my first time being on. See, black folks over here, they they see this black brother over here working hard trying to do this podcast, and they ain't even out there listening. All right. So, well, listen to yours. I listened to some clips, and I, I made it a point, like you said, to support, and I'm going to do better on that. That's good because every download count, whether you and if you listen to it for 15 seconds, that's called a play. All right. Uh, <laughs> so um, let's let's just. Uh, this is literally our first time chatting like this since shit. When it's been a minute. Been I mean, we text. Right. We text, <laughs> but like any kind of like video, FaceTime, anything. Right. I haven't seen you in forever. Um, but you're out there in Albuquerque, New Mexico. How is Albuquerque doing? Um, Albuquerque is Albuquerque. Um, there's a lot of sunshine. There's a lot of bright sides to it. You spend some time here, you know a little bit about it, but it uh, it can be a tough place, I think, for those who are either the have-nots or specifically for uh, Black Americans, as most places are, but New Mexico in particular can be rough. And because when I was there, my recollection is like New Mexico had like less than 2% Black population it's, yes, sir. It's, it's about the same, right? Still the case. Still the case. It covers yeah. around 2% general population, um, a little less than that uh, as professionals, whether it's lawyers, doctors, engineers, et cetera. Oh, all right. Look at you doing. You know your, you know your material. You, know, you can't be over here uh, getting all these text messages and emails. I turned it off. I meant to do that beforehand. So. <laughs> um, no, you're good. So Frank and I, we went to... Um, law school together. I was a year before him. I graduated in 2011. You graduated in 2012, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And my class at the time, I, I don't know if this still is the case, but my class at the time had the largest black population 
um, income and class. And I think it was, we started with 11 or 12 or something like that. And we ended up with like eight or nine who finished because some dropped out, um, some left and went other places. Um, how many people were in your class, Black? Do you remember? Well, sheesh. I think we have five that ultimately finished together. We were also one of the larger ones, not quite as large as your class, but we had a, about five representatives from this black race in there. There were yeah. fewer in the class behind, and it dwindled. The numbers got pretty bad. I was on the admissions committee that 3L year. Man, Are I, you serious? Yeah, and I think that the yield was only two or three, and it, it got it got pretty low for a while. I think they're working on that now, but it's the numbers have been dwindling, actually. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just law school. And so even, you know, you go through, like, um, I would say this, I'm not trying to brag on myself, but I was pretty much the shit in law school. (laughs) 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 I, I made it a point. I mean, the thing is, is like what people, a lot of people I think fail to realize, like when you're black sometimes, and particularly when you are a minority amongst other minorities, you still have to perform not just for yourself but it's almost like you perform it for your race right you don't want you don't want to be seen as being less than or of you know he was an affirmative action pick even though no one really knows whether you're an affirmative action pick or not in reality um but you know it's a struggle i don't know how you felt as a um as a law student been um black did you have a similar experience or what was your absolutely when you uh sent me the topic for for the podcast today that was the first thing that struck me uh, was a memory that i have that i wanted to tell because you are you were great in law school you're, you're one of my mentors uh, you took me under my under your wing and uh you showed me a lot of the ropes which i still appreciate to this day appreciate that but, you gotta uh, look up go ahead yeah, you did, and you did that well. You were a great mentor. I think you were a resource to all the black students who were there. Um, but one specific memory that I have that sticks out in my mind was when I was preparing for the uh, oral advocacy tournament. <laughs> yeah, got to go there. And of course, you were the champion, so I got to walk by this hallway every day. I got to see your name on this plaque, right? <laughs> and I'm like, man, I can't have it. He's on the plaque. He's on the wall of fame. <laughs> I buy this every day. So I'm, I'm preparing, you know, I know the material's cold. Um, I've read it, read the cases front to back, all of this. And we're in the uh, moot court room uh, practicing and you agreed to observe my, my practice. And I get about midway through that thing and I don't even know if you remember. You're like, hold up, hold up, man. This is shit. Like, this I is- did. <laughs> you're like, this is ass. And then, you know, we left a little bit and I could feel it. I was like, you know, something wasn't clicking right. I'm like, I know the law. I know the materials. I know all of that. And then you looked at me and you, you said one thing and it always stuck with me to this day. You were like, man, when you go in there tomorrow, you got to do it like you're doing it for this black race. You better exactly for this black race. And at that moment, something clicked for me just in my overall legal experience um, in, in this field. It was like, oh, this is just like the rest of life. Like we have to do more. We have yes. to always do better. We always have to show out like we're we're showing up for each and every one of us. Right. Which, exactly. We, we, should, we should not be held to that sort of standard. But, um, yeah, that's an experience that stuck with me, and it's still true every single day being a black man in this country. But the way you put it so eloquently. <laughs> <that day. laughs> 
<laughs> and then you said, well, let's go grab some drinks. I did, yeah. But you're like, this is just dry, and this ain't it. But then I, I went on to win a tournament like you did. You did, so. yo. That, I was like, because I was worried. I was like, what the fuck is this? I know, like... You like you said, you knew everything. There, there was nothing you didn't know from a legal perspective. But the presentation was off as fuck, and I was just like, bro. And it was late. It was right. late. We were right. in there late, and I was like, uh, uh-uh. uh, you better show up for these black people tomorrow, bro. Right. Now get your shit and let's go get a drink. But you came in and you were fired, yo. When you right. came to the presentation the next day, you were, you were. You were um, phenomenal. So I, yeah, I, I, I remember that vividly. It was me, you, Carlos, right. and I think Matt was in there as I well agree. at that time for a moment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, that that's the reality. Like we always have to, we all, always have to be on point. And like for instance, like your name is regular Frank, right? Right. But my real name, Deontay, like. Mm-hmm. Even on interviews, I have to be cognizant and I have to think, okay, do I correct them now or do I correct them later? You know what I mean? Because the reality is, is that the correction can come off as you've been uppity or asshole, right? Um, And so there are things that we have to constantly think about that a lot of folks take for granted and they don't have to think about. You know what I mean? Absolutely. because even if it's like, a, there are a lot of like um, Arab names, for instance, that are difficult to pronounce. I don't, I'm not saying they don't have the same experience, but because it's presumed they will have a different type of name, I don't think they go through that mental preparation that we have to go through sometimes with our difficult names sometimes. Um, and it's like, it's so small little things that we have to do and have to think about that other folks don't. I don't um, um, you say that, you mention that, and you see my hair now is braided. I know, I see. That's I what I was going to ask you. How you feel about that? I need to get it redone. <laughs> oh. I haven't worn it to court like this yet, honestly. I mean, this is the COVID here, right? Like, I my my barbershop closed down. I started growing it. I got through the rough spell, <laughs> and I said, I'm just going to keep it for a while, and I like it getting longer. I, I enjoy it being long, but um, I just recently started braiding it back like this and I have a couple colleagues and they came to me in great spirit you know it was nothing uh, there was no animus uh, there was no malintent when they came to me but I've had a couple people pull me to the side and say you know if you wear it to court like that <laughs> you know are you gonna wear it to court like yeah like what is this, is this <laughs> cold it. <laughs> and I haven't yet but I know that there would be a, a visceral response from judges from other lawyers and it's unfortunate because right. this is an ethnic hairstyle this is a cultural hairstyle and it shouldn't be associated with anything nefarious it shouldn't be uh, um, demerit to anyone the way that we wear our hair they just right. passed a law recently in new mexico called the crown act actually it's the city did it's a city ordinance where you can wear your hair however you want to protect the hairstyles right right and one of the authors of the crown act came to me this is hilarious one of the authors said are you gonna wear your hair like that what the f- yes see. just recognizing just recognizing that a, a you're still black right right we are still black and we still face these challenges and when you show up with cornrows in your head there's going to be a lot of assumptions that are made about you and it's unfortunate right. yeah it is unfortunate because that presentation shouldn't matter particularly if you know exactly what you're doing right if you are performing your job 
um, it shouldn't have an impact, but unfortunately it does. And even though, like you said, the Crown Act there, there are some right. other cities that implemented some, like even here in Virginia that recently they did the protective hairstyles as part of being race discrimination, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't remove the fact that people don't recognize that your comment about a person's hair ethnic wise is a comment about that person's ethnicity and race right they don't connect it they think that it's about professionalism but who holds the standard of what's professional other than the white folks like you know why is it that you get to dictate what's professional if i'm able to do what i need to do for my client or represent this particular issue a certain way you know what i mean um, and and, and it's, fortunately, fortunately, I can take down the hair, right? But we right. can't turn off our skin color. <laughs> exactly, right. But there are some people who are who have dreadlocks who can't just yeah. go and take down the hair. I mean, it will yeah. literally require them to cut it. Um, and they get faced. I I know some lawyers um, who get faced with that as well, and, and it's just it's it's the unfortunate aspect of it. But that's part of being black a eh? and it's part of being a lawyer and then you have to pick and choose and make a determination all right so what made you want to go to law school oh interesting so there was an experience when i was 16 years old i was always a, a really good student um, like I always i made nothing but a's i was always an a student um, i turned 16 um and i'm gonna truncate the story a bit but I was asked to speak at a DARE graduation, the Drug Abuse Resistance Education. You know, this was a national program. I think it was a, a child of, uh, of either Reagan or Bush's wife, one of the two, but it, you know, the Just Say No to Drugs movement. It was through that era, late 80s, early 90s, that just stuck around. Um, cop asked me to, you know, ask the principal actually for a top student. Um, she recommends that I go speak. I'm 16. I speak at their graduation. I leave their graduation, go back to uh, basketball practice. It worked all summer to purchase, you know, a beater, but I got a car. I'm 16. I went to all these fellas with a car. Right. <laughs> so we leave basketball practice. I'm taking my friends home and the cops pulled me over. And this is my first encounter with the excessive force from the cops. Cops with my ass. So at 16, I am a 16 years old, meek, mild, straight A student, completely compliant. And I identify that as the day I became a man. And I didn't realize at the time that I wanted to be a lawyer, but I told myself after this, I'm gonna be able to do something about this if they do this to someone else, or Mm -hmm. be able to do something about this if they do this to me again. Right. I knew I wanted to be somebody, right? I wanted to have power because seeing the look on my mom's face after that experience, and even uh, she calls, of course, the officer from the DEER program. He was off duty. The substation contacted him. Um, He stops by my house to his credit. He only stops by two or three minutes. But uh, he tells her, you know, the Denver Police Department has a beat release program. And that still grinds my gears to this day because that provided absolutely no solace. That was no consolation at all. Uh, they have a beat release program. I'm like, wow, this is happening all the time. Why aren't you ripping those badges off of those officers' uniform? Why aren't you doing something about it? And so it was at that time that I could identify that I wanted to do something. Didn't know it was to be a lawyer, but I wanted to be able to help people who were in a similar situation that I had experienced. So, and and for, for the people um, who don't know, what is beat and release what did you understand <laughs> that program. <laughs> right yeah it's it's like a, the stop and frisk in new york we're gonna stop these black guys we are gonna rough them up 
We're going to figure out if they have any drugs or gang affiliations um, because we have no reason, right? We, we have no reason to mess with them at all, um, but we, we're going to. And uh, we're, we're going to try and find something. We're going to try and stick something on them. And when we can't, because that's usually the case, you know, most black people, we don't have warrants, drugs, or any gang affiliations. Right. But uh, they, I guess they figure if they can get a few, which they have, you know, through the through the stop and frisk type programs and through these uh, gang task force, they're able to criminalize entire neighborhoods. I mean, that was the first thing the cop was telling me. I asked him why he pulled me over. He's like, I have a million reasons that I could could have pulled you over. That answer would never fly with me today. But at 16, I'm like, okay, you had a million million reasons to pull me right. over. One, I was black. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no right. Pull right. me over. Yanks me out of the car and immediately he's like, you're hiding drugs in your ass. That's why you're nervous. You're hiding dope in your ass. That's what he kept telling me over and over again. Slams me on the car. He's asking me, what set are you from? I have on my basketball practice uniform. I just came from basketball practice. I'm the Valley right. out of high school eventually, but I'm the top student in the class, straight A student, hadn't been in any trouble. And he's like, you're hiding dope in your ass. What set are you from? And you know, that, that, that was the beginning of my experience with the police uh, in that way. Because I and, heard and what, what city was that? This was in Denver, Denver, Colorado. Right off Martin Luther Boulevard, Martin Luther King Boulevard. Damn shame, Denver, Colorado. You, when you think about Denver now, you think about it being this liberal place, right? You know, they were kind of in the forefront to do like the recreational drugs and blah blah right. blah. Um, and so you don't necessarily. Um, associate that type of behavior or those type of experiences with Denver, right? Right. Um, but that is white Denver. <laughs> Absolutely. That's black Denver, Absolutely. right? People do not uh, realize that. The time frame I'm talking about, Denver had one of the, the worst police brutality rates in, in the entire country. It came out later. I had a friend, so my experience was in 2000. Um, one of my best friends, his childhood friend, his uncle was beaten worse than Rodney King by the Denver Police Department around 2005. And all of this information came out about how they had approximately 1,100 uh, reports of excessive force, and only two of them had led to any action. And one was when they uh, beat my, my friend's uncle. He was dead on arrival at the hospital, tased his body more than 33 times, you know, just crushed his, uh, his windpipe, his larynx all of this and what another was a seven-year-old boy who was autistic whose parents had uh called the cops to get some help from him and they showed up and the seven-year-old boy had a knife or he maybe he was 12, around 12 i believe and they shot him and killed him but those were the two instances that led to some sort of remediation out of almost a thousand cases yeah and uh yeah. denver was pretty bad it's still not a, a great city i don't think that there's anywhere where um black folks are, are treated well by the police in any metropolis yeah. it's a tale of two cities you have uh in, in Denver, Colorado right now. come on charles dickens wait that's <laughs> charles dickinson right tale of two cities all right the book yeah 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 <laughs> see we educated up in here all right go ahead yeah. go ahead sorry no but um you have uh, the legalization of marijuana for example it took almost two years before the first minority got a license to right. sit in Colorado and it was a and, and since we're still incarcerated on weed charges. <laughs> exactly. And see th that people hear legalization, right? And right. they don't realize that the folks who benefit 
exponentially are white folks, right? Um, and they set it up so you have to go through all these processes, these tax situations that people, a lot of us don't grow up understanding financials, right? Because a lot of us don't have individuals in our, our household who are able to teach us these things. Um, but fundamentally, it's so difficult to get through the bureaucratic red tape for certain groups of individuals to profit legally off of these the, the drugs that were once a high reason to put folks away, right? Lock them up, yeah. right? Because they're selling weed, this, that, and the third. But there was something in your story that I think is is important, and I just want to highlight that and go back. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of folks who are not who are not black during the Black Lives Matter movement, and particularly um, during some of these marches and things of that nature, they started to understand um, the plight that the black man go through, but um, you said that it was 16 when you became a man because of a situation with the police. And I, mm-hmm. I think that's important because manhood should be something that you naturally progress to because it's just a natural way of things. Not because some white person and authority forces you to come into an adult situation um, without your consent. You know what I mean? Um, and, 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 and that story it, in so many respects is the everyday black student story of a black, particularly black men of becoming adults, right? We're forced to become adults for whatever reason. Um, and it's just, it's, it's unfathomable that that is the reason why. Um, and then they, they don't tend to understand why there's this hesitancy of respecting the men in blue, right? Or the women in blue or people in blue. Um, because there tends to be the perspective that these same group of individuals don't respect us, right? Or don't look at us as equals, as human beings. And always they they consider that we have some kind of nefarious aspect going on with us. And oftentimes we don't. Like, you you were a straight-A student. Like... You you shouldn't have to. <laughs> you shouldn't you shouldn't be pulled over, right? Because you're black, right? Driving yeah. driving while black that shouldn't be a reason. Um, and that was the first time I cut my hair. I when I had cornrows, my mom will tell you this. Living where I live, I got pulled over three or four times a week. Three or four times a week, I would get pulled over just because of my hairstyle. I was black with cornrows. As soon as I cut it, a lot of that stopped, and that's awful. That's terrible. Yeah. That people it's, it's, would be profiled to that extent. And what you said, you hit it on the nose. I didn't realize that there were so many people um, who have never had a gun pulled on them by the police. I just thought that this was everyone's experience. But, right, um, that's normal. <laughs> if you're black in the inner city, and the cops pulling a gun on you is, I mean, that happens at a very young age. And it happens numerous times throughout your lifetime. And I've, yeah. I've met adults in their 60s and 70s who are Caucasian. The cops have never pulled a gun on them. Right, right. uh, And and this is emblematic. I think we're talking about, you know, police brutality, which is germane to our society right now. But this is a a universal issue and and transcends your topic of lawyer while black because that's what we deal with. I mean, lawyer lawyer while black is just like living while black, right? Right, right. We we are constantly faced with uh, this, this cloak or one of these badges of slavery that as the, the forefathers of this place would talk about. 
Yeah. We're walking around with something on us that uh, alienates us from, from from this American dream. Yeah, and then it's like <clears throat> I you know, I always wanted to be a lawyer. Um, it was something I always wanted to do. But I also realized that I have to do so much to be seen sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to be recognized. Um, that other folks don't have to. And I, I, I'm going to give a stupid example, but it's a real example. I've been in situations where I knew I was a better qualified person. I mean, <laughs> you know, and people come in that are non-black and they just wear like some little dirty looking khakis, a white shirt, a, a tie that they look like they just pulled out the back and here we got to dress up to the nines like we're going to a funeral. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because we have to have our presentation a certain way or else we're not going to be taken se- uh, seriously just from how we look. You know what I mean? Um, and it's, it's, it's completely um, unfortunate. And even even given the fact that we've gone through the hurdle of paying for for school, right? We pay the same amount that these other folks pay, right? We sat in the class doing the same things these other folks sat in. Some of us were on law review. I was the one of the editors in chief. You were on law review. You do everything you're supposed to do, um, but yet sometimes that still isn't enough they want something else to make you seem as if oh he's a shining star but i shouldn't have to have anything in addition to that right (laughs) to be a a shining star um and 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 i have a a great example of that too where you just kind of you feel like you should be able to just float through the radar uh, or float through under the radar and just uh fit in so I, i work on some fairly substantial class action cases at times and I remember being in a in Manhattan, New York. We're at the Chrysler Building in the penthouse. You know, you got 22 lawyers that are there. Right. Take the, this deposition of a, of a of a C-suite executive for one of the largest banks in the world. And you know, 21 of these folks, <laughs> of course, are Caucasian, and I'm the black person in the room. Right. And invariably, I, I, this wasn't the first or the last time this happened, but several individuals see me walk in for the deposition and they ask, are you a lawyer or are you the court reporter? Or are you here to help with the videographer? <laughs> and I mean, there are 21 other people in this room and nobody fielded this inquiry but me. <laughs> right, right, right. So, and when I proceed that day, I was fired up. I tore this man up. Like, yeah, exactly. Know, and, every, and everyone's like, we, we go out for drinks, you know, you hang out later afterwards. And they're like, oh, wow, can you believe the information that Frank got out of him? Like, they're shocked that you can do it, too. (laughs) Exactly, yes. I mean, you said, I I took the bar like you took the bar. Exactly. Like, I studied just like you, bro. Like, we we got the same license. Like, let's let's get this together. Um, No, but that that happens all the time. Or they, they doubt you, right? They think that, oh, they find out who is taking the deposition or doing X. Wednesday. They do do they go and do their little research, look you up on LinkedIn, see what you look right. like, blah blah blah. <laughs> and they just presume that you ain't gonna know what you're doing, right? <laughs> Until you start tearing right. that ass up in that deposition and asking those questions. They're like, oh, 
Wow. Like, I had someone come to me and was like, oh, my God, are you, like, the supervisor? I'm like, no, bitch, I ain't the supervisor. I just know my shit. (laughs) No, this is what I do. Like, I take my job very seriously. And you shouldn't undermine me because you think that I'm going to be incapable of of X, Y, and Z. And even, like... you know, this is it, it, it is something that that is just rampant in the law profession. That it depends on where you went to school as well, right? Oh my God, right, right. this person went to Harvard. They gotta right. be a shining star. Like I've gone against so many people from Harvard. I'm like, how the hell did you even graduate law school? Like you don't know anything. You don't you don't know the basic civil rules of procedure. Like let's get it together. Um, but people, it's 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 so annoying, and it's not a lot of us in the top positions either right um and so i don't know if it's okay for me to say but like you are like you are a a star like i'm i'm going to say that you've always been doing your 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 shit you've always been working diligently but one thing that i would say about you is no matter how high you continue to progress you never forget where you come from and i think that is um something that a lot of people and are that are black we tend to forget that or we tend to think um okay well i had to have it hard so let me make it hard on this other black person because i'm teaching this person something and that's not teaching anything like i i've been in situations where i've you know i admired some of these some one of my supervisors who was black um thought you know she was superior thought she was superb Right. But she was an asshole. Yeah. Um, and it's almost like, okay, is is it because she's trying to help me and teach me and give me um, something that she felt is like a, almost like a hazing experience? But that right. doesn't always help, right? right. Um, and I, I really appreciate that you don't do that because it's like, you. you know, it's, it's, well, it's not well, I'm helpful. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said yeah. that. That's one of the best things you can say about me. But I, yeah, I, yeah those those folks that you're talking about, and it's it, there's a good. I would say the majority. I don't have any any data on this, but I would say it's the majority of black folks that fall into that lane that you're talking about. And me personally, that's been the one thing in this profession. When you talk about lawyering while black, that I've never been able to really come to grips with. The worst experience that I've had as a lawyer was coming from someone who was also African-American right. and looking at me and saying, I'll never forget it, that I was ghetto, that I was authentically black, that um, you, you'll uh, you'll understand this. A lot of people don't get the example because they don't know who the individuals are, but he referred to me as Allen Iverson and that he was Tiger Woods. And if you're a black person, <laughs> <laughs> you know what that means. Yes, but, exactly. But it, that, but it was hurtful because it, yeah. on the one hand, I'm, I'm like, you are right. You are in fact correct that I am ghetto and I don't mind that. That's like you said, that's part of who I am. That doesn't mean I'm lesser than. That right. Mean I'm incapable, incompetent, stupid, any of that. I mean, but just, see that and, and that term, even that term ghetto, <laughs> when used derogatory, it, 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 it's often used derogatorily, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole concept of ghettos is a, is a historic. It has a historical context. It is the right. concept of um, those in the majority 
placing mm. black folks in certain communities because they can deal with themselves, right? We don't have to deal with them every, we don't have to, if we have to go past there, we just ride it past, we don't have to stop, right? Um, and it's, it's the concept of being run down and it's the presumption that we created the rundownness. I know that's not a word, but we created the ghetto. When in in reality, that's inaccurate. We just didn't have the infrastructure to build in our communities, right? Because if we had infrastructure, we would be able to give back and put money back into communities. You can't put something into a community that you don't have, right? Um, and you you know it's 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 ridiculous that someone who is professional, who looks like you would use that term derogatorily towards you um and so yeah you you know yeah i i it's hurtful because um it also for me is how entrenched none of us operates outside of white supremacy right right that's just the what the prevailing theme in this country but it shows how entrenched some folks are because they're like okay we need to now adopt this ethos, right? Like, why are you doing that? You don't have to be like those other blacks. Right, <laughs> right. Yes, right, <laughs> you know? exactly. And either and, way, and, they're and, not going to accept you. You're not going to, you and, know. Exactly. And that goes right back to why do they get to pick the standard? Like, they're, it, 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 we come into these systems trying to... I know we we really supposed to be talking about lowering wild black, but I think it like you said it transcends so many topics because we are coming into a legal system that was not set up for us, right? But we have to play by those rules because if we don't do that, we can't do the things that we need to do for our clients, right? We can't progress, we can't make a name for ourselves. Um, and when you have people who refuse to recognize white supremacy is everywhere and they continue to operate and look for, look towards implementing that or emulating that, it's just a continued cycle, um, that we find ourselves in. And like, there was this one, I, I sent you the article, um, this one guy in Maryland who was a lawyer who is you know he was working for maryland legal aid rashad james and apparently um one of the deputies basically thought he was the damn client (laughs) and 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 began trying to treat him like he was actually the defendant or the suspect versus recognizing no i'm a lawyer i'm here to represent this particular person um and yeah it's 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 annoying just yes, to it's it. tough i mean and it makes it harder but like you said when it comes from someone who looks like you or someone who who's in a position where i felt like you know this individual experience than i was and um, you know has a, a lot more years of practice so i just feel like if you perceive um, some efficiency with me that's an opportunity for you to help me excel coaching yes but um aside from that to take it to the level of like culturally you're you're inferior because you you're engulfed in this blackness um that just was hurtful because i am yeah. that's <laughs> really <laughs> i am who i am you, you're uh, black <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh my god, I didn't know that. I didn't know you were black man. My bad. But you you were um an Iverson black. Because like, <laughs> that's right. Authentically <laughs> black. You were authentically black. Uh you uh, yeah, that that that's unfortunate. And it, it it's ridiculous too, like um even in New Mexico. One thing that really bothered me about that state is that it was other minorities also uh, <laughs> engaging in the behavior that is synonymous with white supremacy. And they can um, be the worst ones because as soon as they, they need, that, that scapegoat. <laughs> exactly. And it's as like, well, we're on the same team. Like, let's just well, link up. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then um, I was looking at, I sent you this other one. So statistically, right, at, at least in 2019, for um, lawyers, white lawyers rep- represented 85% of the legal profession or operated in 85% of the legal profession, 5% African American, 5% Hispanic, 2% Asian, 1% Native American, and 0% Hawaiian Pacific Islander. Like those numbers are horrendous. And and they don't equate to the numbers of the population, the percentages of, of the population. Um and yeah, it's like I I don't know, like and, and I don't even know those numbers. It's it's really interesting to break it down even further. Cause like in New Mexico, for instance, you look at uh the black lawyers here. And of course, again, we're, we're fewer than uh, 2% of the population and we have around that for uh, black professionals. But then you, you dig within that and almost 75% of the black lawyers in New Mexico have some sort of government job. And it's because in the private sector, it's dominated by this culture of whiteness. I, yes. Started off at one of the largest uh, firms in the region, had over 100 lawyers at the time, but it was actually diverse when I started there. I think I was the the fifth black lawyer that was hired. Right. In a period of, uh, I left there after about 22 months, but within that 22 months, the other four all left for variant for a variety of reasons. Yeah. yeah. Um, I thought we had some critical mass when it was five. But by the time it got to one, and now you look at the today, you go look at inside the largest three or four uh, firms in New Mexico. They do not have one black lawyer. Not, not one. Not one. Not a single one. Some of them do not have a black employee. <laughs> You're talking that about is ridiculous. With over you know 100 employees, over 100 lawyers. So you're talking about 250 or so employees, and hey, it's it's awful. But that shows yeah. you the state of the uh, legal profession, and that's across the board. You go to these big firms. We were talking about it uh, backstage. You go to these big firms. They don't have black lawyers, and far between make it to the partnership. And it's uh, it can be a lonely it can be a lonely trek. It can be a lonely grind. I think that's yeah. part of uh, being black in this country too. And a lot of times it can be lonely. People, even though we're visible, right, in entertainment and sports, um, on TV and whatnot, people forget that we're only 13, 12 and a half, 13 percent of the population. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> even though it may seem like black people are everywhere, we're really not. But yeah. I mean, that, uh, that's still substantial. You know, that's a significant number, 13 percent, and we're terribly underrepresented in the legal profession. Yeah, and, and it's and like um, 
you know, when you look at the, the government sectors, like why are we thriving in private practice? Yeah. Just yeah. as capable, just as good when we've proven uh, this over and over again. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to take a lot to overhaul it. And I think what, what, will, what needs to happen is, well, let me just say this. I think a lot of these firms, they all tout about diversity, right? <laughs> you, you go on their website, we... We love diversity. You walk into their their atrium and they got all these videos about diversity and inclusion. But I, I think it's problematic that you don't have true representation of the folks who you represent. Like your clients typically are, are not just going, especially if you're representing corporations, they are going to have a diverse workforce. Now, right. Whether or not diversity is in the ranks, the high ranks or not, that's a different story. But but they're going to have a diverse workforce. And I think that when you have the, the concept of true diversity, when you have people from different backgrounds, different law schools, different, you know, legal professions or the trajectory of their legal profession, you are going to be able to better represent folks um, as lawyers, I think, because... You, you you understand culturally aspects of things. You understand how to navigate through certain situations. I've been in situations where, because I was black, I was able to connect with certain clients differently, right? Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, the whole concept of diversity is important, but you can't just diversify without giving these, these in- attorneys the ability to thrive like if you're not putting them in front of clients if you're not letting them take their positions or you're not bringing them to these meetings you have you may have a diverse workforce but at the end of the day you're not setting them up for success right um which i think is a lot of black folk stories um in the legal profession like yeah, I, I I know which law firm you're talking about. <laughs> your little twenty-two months. I, you acting like you act like you act like those parents be like, "How is your kid? Oh, he's thirty-seven and a half months." I'm like, "Bro, <laughs> he three, okay, he three, yeah. right? You were there about two years. You had twenty-two months." <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's 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 emblematic of uh of the system, um, and I you know. I can it's only... terrible because a lot of the positions of power are selected from a lot of these places. I mean, I'm blessed with a man now. I'm at a litigation boutique. It's one of the finest firms, in my opinion, in the country easily. And it's continuously recognized that way. But for other individuals, I mean, I look at all the talented black lawyers that I know, which it's a small group that I know. But anytime um, I think black people have been given the opportunity to excel time and time again we've stepped up to the plate we've knocked it out of the park and to see these opportunities go to lesser qualified people honestly that, that's what it is we call it what i'm calling it lesser qualified lesser talented yes. people time and time again yes. <laughs> uh, it's disheartening and yeah. it, um, i've seen people leave the legal profession because of that, because they never were able to find a mentor or people that they really connected with, and they didn't want to walk that lonely route. When, when we are represented um, somewhat better in uh, other professions, you know, yeah. be in business and be more comfortable. Why take this path when it's difficult to begin with? Yeah. Um. So let me ask this question: Have you? Uh, 
not to put you on um, front street or blast or whatever. <laughs> given given kind of like the trajectory of or the black experience while mm-hmm. lawyering, um, what types of things have you began to do to help other folks come mm-hmm. up? That's been a biggie for me. That's uh, I was actually challenged by one of my friends. I gave a talk to uh, my buddy's movement. Um, he has a, a, a youth development and community empowerment movement. Uh, and I did a, a Zoom presentation for them. And one of my friends, she challenged me. She said, you know, what are you doing for the next generation? What are you doing for the next Frank Davis is coming up? And that's kind of been the next chapter for me. Uh, one of my weaknesses, honestly, is just managing other people. So. Whereas I, I perceive and can recognize this lone wolf situation that I find myself in. I'm used to being a mercenary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stop operating yeah. alone. But I do owe it to others to do more. And part of what I've done is I've I've come up with a, a street law program that is my own, you know, machination um, that I, I try and empower people with that I give to my friends and I give to people. But in terms of mentoring someone within the law. That's something that I, I need to step up, up with or someone, a black professional, because, yeah, I'm giving time to various youth organizations or giving them resources or I'm doing the street law thing or I do the pro bono work. You know, I do a ton of those cases. But in terms of mentoring someone who, who has the capability to see my shoe prints in the sand and, you know, go run it past me and, uh, yeah. and get up there, you know, take take this thing to a whole other level that I can only imagine. I, I, I have to be more cognizant of creating that opportunity. And I'm getting to a place where that's important for, for a legacy. That is important to me. But um, it's it's difficult, you know, that it's, it's hard to find black folks that um, you, you can help in that way. Because yeah. a few of us who who get past those hurdles, yeah, I was so delighted that I met you in, in law school. I mean, I think about how uncommon that would probably be to have, you know, two. And we were. I'm not being a braggart here when I say this. Two stellar students, two standout lawyers. Rob, we were the shit. Just say the words, <laughs> like, <laughs> like that. And, that's, and, and and honestly, that's uncommon. But I know that I owe a lot of that to you because school. Like I said, I was an A student. I never studied. I didn't yeah. So I got to law school. Yeah, everybody's smart. Everybody has, you know, some talent. Yeah. So I mean, the study habits, you showed me the ropes and, and having that mentorship was invaluable. So I yeah. do owe it to the, to the next generation. But I think it's, uh, it, it, it's, that's difficult. That's hard. It is. And I mean, I ask that question and I, I struggle with that every day. Like, what can I do? And so um, if you find like, you know, I know I'm in D.C. and you're there and vice versa. But if you find things that, you know, I can participate in to help, um, I I'm all in because I feel like I know for a fact growing up, I didn't have that. Right. Um, and <laughs> yeah, know, I, didn't, I didn't know a lawyer when I went to exactly. law. You talk about lawyer were black. I didn't know a single lawyer when I went to law school. The only lawyer I knew were the lawyers on the billboards, and right. um, I didn't. <laughs> I knew their names, but I'm pretty sure they ain't know shit about me. Right. You know what I mean? I knew Johnny, I knew Johnny Cochran. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all knew Johnny Cochran. We all. I remember that whole trial. Like right. uh, I was in. I was actually in Swahili class. When um, the verdict for OJ came out, um, but yeah, it, it's like you know, yes, 
we need to touch as many people as we can, even if they don't want to be a lawyer. See, the other thing is that you don't having a law degree can open up the door to so many different avenues. Right. Um, And you don't have to practice law. Um, And, you know, every lawyer isn't a liar. I know a lot of people think that lawyers are liars. Right. Um, But it is a profession that requires you to have high ethics. I mean, there are a lot of things that, you know, even if we go out and have a drink, we have to think about things sometimes that other folks don't have to think about because if it gets out X, Y, and Z, then you could be held responsible and your law license to be on the line and things of that nature. Um, so there's a lot of of stress stresses that come with it. Um, but people need to know um, at a young age that, you know, not every lawyer is in the courtroom. Not every lawyer is going to be making you know eight 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 million dollars a year right yeah. <laughs> um but there are so many ways in which you can be impactful um being a lawyer and so yeah so i think it's important that we we try to reach back and touch on her because you need positive people like that and people who can command a room and command attention based upon their their experience um and it's important that we do the same thing and give back as much as possible absolutely yeah and touching off of that it's kind of a what you're saying dovetails with with, uh this idea of just uh having success in the profession because that's part of what is so disheartening to me about the lack of we talk about the lack of numbers and underrepresentation part of that is because this is a relationships profession Right, And a lot of these opportunities, I see it time and time again, whether it's a corporate client, an in-house opportunity, in-house cases, they go to people because of the relationships that they develop with others. Right. And not necessarily the talent. Right, and for me, that's that's how we know as blacks when we get it just because of the talent. Because right. the answer because you're black. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you that now. Because <laughs> a lot of us just giving out stuff. <laughs> no, they're coming to you because you got it. It's, right. Uh, that, that's fulfilling in one way professionally, but on the flip side, it's like, man, uh, we shouldn't have to always be above and beyond. Like yeah. some mediocre guy out there who who is lesser talented. You know, than, than a superstar, superior lawyer, he should he deserves the same opportunities, notwithstanding yeah. race. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's one step at a time. We are, um, we we signed up for this this gig. Yeah. Um, um, I think we are doing everything that we can to excel personally, but also. Yeah back to that whole point representing for the race like you know every time like even every time i step into a courtroom right it's important for me a to look good not because i'm vain but (laughs) right i i i don't think people like people think i just i i know like in law school you know i used to dress up all the time um and it it's important because i want people to recognize that when I step into this room, I'm going to own this room, right? And I, I know that sounds like Nene Leaks from damn um, Real House Lo- Housewives or Atlanta. <laughs> but the reality is I want people to recognize, okay, all right, he, he, okay, he looked a certain way. Let's see if he can bring it. And then when I bring that, that A game, it's right. like, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it, 
these are things that we have to do sometimes um, just so that we can stay relevant and so that we can be commanded or at least have the same level of respect to other folks who just aren't as qualified. Um, and, you know, it it is what it is. I appreciate your time. Um, I'm going to give you a moment to say whatever you want to say um, because, you know, you're guessing you're, you're important. Oh, I appreciate no, that. I want to first and foremost thank you for sharing your platform with me. You're a dear friend, you've been a dear mentor, and you've helped me excel as a person and professionally. To anybody who's out there who's listening, I am the struggle. I love the struggle. I'm from the struggle. If you are in the struggle, realize that your situation is only temporary, and don't allow this temporary pain to leave you permanently scarred or permanently in a place where you don't think that you can move forward because you can't. There's opportunities for you out there. Just believe in yourself. Never stop believing, never stop dreaming. No one else might see it. You might be the only person who sees or believes. But hold on to that because there will, will be sunshine on the other side of it if you stay steadfast. Come stop. on. Come on, PK. Preacher kid over there. <laughs> Doing a sermon over there. <laughs> Hey, I just like, I speak empowerment into people and I take it seriously. That's why I appreciate this so much because you're right. I told you that I started with that experience when I talk about my profession of that law school when you're telling me do it, do it for this black race. And you, you know what that means to you. Yes. Yeah. You know what that meant to me. Like yeah. we didn't say nothing else. We didn't have to do any more preparation. We went and grab a drink. Like you said, there were some Hispanic colleagues there. But when you said that, and that follows me when I go into the courtroom, when I have a big project coming up, when I have a, a big case, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, like I can't handle everything. Like there's just too much in this profession. Like, man, you're doing it for something bigger than you. Yeah. Out here and do it for these folks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's bigger than you. It, it is. And I mean, it, it is a weight that we have to carry. And it, yeah. it's... It's unfair sometimes, right? And I'm not saying, and let me just be perfectly clear, I'm not saying that folks who are non-black don't have a struggle and don't represent, I have a lot of Hispanic Absolutely. colleagues who have to do the exact same thing. I have a lot of Native American colleagues who have to do the exact same thing, right? Um, but that is part of what we do. And you are not just doing it for yourself. You're not just doing it for your client. You're doing it for a whole lot of folks you don't even know, right? Sure. You don't even know who's looking at you. Um, who has an idea of um, I look up to you, right? Because we, you just don't, you just never know. Um, and yeah, so I appreciate that, bro. I, I, I've, you know, we've had our our moments where we got <laughs> pissed at each other. Yeah, yo, desire. we was on mock trial. There was a moment we didn't speak. Uh, we were pissed. <laughs> but you know, you get over those those oh, things yeah. those things is just part of that's just part of the package it it makes the friendship stronger it makes them real we might not talk every day but you know i every time i see something that you're doing i'm always ec ecstatic about it because um you know if it's if it's but for the fact that you are there in in the roles that you are someone else may not be able to be there um and so you know yeah those are those are important things bro um, and it's something to always think about and always remember. And I'm glad you do that. I, I, I say that wholeheartedly without um, any hesitation. Um, you stay ghetto, 
bro. <laughs> I can't change that, man. I'm too you old. You wear that word with pride. Um, but yeah, so no, I appreciate that, bro. And I, I also appreciate you giving me your time um, today. Um, talk to me. And I know we had to reschedule um, two or three times. Um, but I'm glad we were able to get it done. <laughs> black experience. All right, bro. All right. So that is the episode. It is episode 41. It is Laureen while black. You can hit us up at peeps Creek on IG, Twitter, TikTok, Twitch. Yes. And um, you can send us a text message, 202-618-0043. You can send us an email, cafe at peepscreek.com. And make sure you go and look at the website, www.peepscreek.com. Again, I want to say thanks to Frank Davis out in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, don't forget to send me a picture of that drink, though, because I, I want it. Oh, yeah. I want to get a bottle. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Until next time, to continue to drink, listen, and converse. Peace and love. Don't-